Uh, I want to thank everyone for coming. I really appreciate the support. Um, let's just go ahead and introduce ourselves really quickly. Uh, this is the part I don't really like, but let's, we can start on this side. Okay, my name is Mary Joseph, and I'm just a um, person who lives in the neighborhood, and I'm interested. Dish Caswell, neighbor. Nick Richard, media. Jerome Corshawn, Silver Lake Neighborhood Council board member. Henry Johnson, Silver Lake Neighborhood Council board member. Stephanie Van Dyke, uh, I'm from Griffith Park Adult Community Center. Eileen Sarkin, co-chair of Outreach. Oh, uh, TJ Flexer, famous owner of East Hollywood Bicycle Shop. Sorry, I, I should say, I do bike talk. I just, um, my show is bike talk. Okay. <laughs> bike talk is bike my talk. show. Bike talk. Oh, uh, hi, I'm Heron from uh, County Bicycle Coalition. I'm Matthew Mooney, uh, chair, co-chair of uh, Transportation Public Works. Uh, and I'm Francis, and I'm a neighbor and just a community member. All right. Um, <laughs> any general public comments or non-agenda items? Nina. I just want to invite everyone to an event that's being co-sponsored by the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. It's the 21st. 21st Annual Music Box Steps Day Family Film Festival. I'm going to pick up a little card over here. It is from 12 to 4, and if you would like to volunteer at 11 o'clock to set up, uh, we could certainly use you. But I, I wanted to tell you about that. I'm also looking for volunteers that might be interested in handing out uh, treats at uh, Bellevue Rec Center, the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. Uh, this is their second year of involvement, and they have created a little village within the, the auditorium so kids have a safe place to go knocking at doors of these little cardboard houses uh, to get their trick. So you can see me or just call me, and I'll be happy to assign you as little as 15 minutes if you'd like. It's, it's from 6 to 8 o'clock. Thank you. whole picture of can I survive without a car? Can I walk down there and walk on? I joined uh, Bobby Pepe, Pepe uh, in a group over here where we were with uh, Mary Rodriguez and we gathered some information because around there is it safe for people? Is the bus, bus uh, stop <laughs> visible? And the bikes can go this way, and and are the sidewalks, you know, and crosswalks and stuff. So it, because over the at the plaza, there is uh, becoming more and more human beings hanging around because of the activities and uh, at the farmers market. So we're getting more people out of out of the car hanging around. Meaning, can we have an environment? that can accommodate all. He introduced me to the Vision Zero policy, mm -hmm. and so I, um, uh, which is supposed to be included with the mobility plan, and now I want to find out more about it. 
I also write an article uh, column in the Los Feliz Ledger and the Larchmont Ledger, Larchmont Ledger on I call it senior moments. So let's with a <laughs> with a okay. reflections on the older person, but it's going to mean for everybody. So I am writing this column that decided on those two plans and what you say here and what to, to make people also conscious and aware that there are city efforts, including from the neighborhood council, to um, try to improve whatever uh, the, the situation that needs to be improved. <laughs> I would like to make a, a comment uh, before maybe we start. Uh, I know that transportation and, and public works too, which this committee has been working um, in, is, is a really overwhelming and, and heated topic from what I've gathered from people and what I've noticed, and, and I think that's that's great. Um, it, it's also overlapped a lot of things that the community is interested with, with green and sustainability. And with that, everyone has a lot of different passions and intensities, and so I just want to remind everyone that I think all as people who are living in, in desiring community and, and um, that space, everyone really has a lot of the similar needs. We all really look for safety and community, and our access point and our starting point may come from different places and, and allow us to see things differently and see solutions differently. And I think, one, that's beautiful and helpful and, and also can come into conflict with other people, but just to remind ourselves that as, as shared humanity, we have similar needs, and if we can remember that and, and talk from a place of solution and community building, I think that's the best way to go, because um, I've just, I've watched some of this stuff be really heated, and I, I just want to draw our attention to that before we start. Thank you all for coming, and thank you all for being engaged. I really, we all really appreciate it. It's been really great for our community. All right. We are going to... Um, move past the adoption of minutes. Um, I didn't get a chance to finish those, so I will do that next uh, meeting, and we can move on into the old business. And um, the old business is the update on the repurposing of the Michelle Terrana Tunnel. Um, to get you familiar with it, there's a tunnel right in front of the Michelle Terrana Elementary School. These tunnels were used in the 20s um, for children to be able to um, cross the street, underneath the street, li quite literally. And um, so far, uh, with the help of other uh, committees and other stakeholders, we have been able to now uh, include the support of Principal Fafari, who is uh, Fafari, which is the principal of Michelle Torina Elementary, along with uh, Purgatory Pizza. So we're really happy to have those two, uh, uh, that business and that principal, helping us uh, try to dream a little bit about turning that tunnel into something uh, positive and repurposing it. Um, what's on the books right now is that Metro Farrell is going, it's planned to be uh, cemented, so, um, or just closed up, filled uh, with cement. We're hoping that we can head that off and um, repurpose that tunnel into something, something else. Um, if you ever, uh, Cypress Park actually repurposed their tunnel into an art gallery. So we, we're really hoping that we can uh, do something more uh, and repurpose that tunnel. Uh, Lisa is all, also involved uh, in trying to help repurpose the tunnel. Yeah. There's also um, a new business 
well, it's an old business that just relocated. Um, the King's Roost, uh, you're all familiar, used to be on Fountain, and they just moved um, to, to like, What's that? To Lucille. To, yeah, to Lucille. Lucille. Yeah. yeah, so, and I talked to Ro about um, being involved in supporting it, and they're, they, they, so they're a DIY um, local shop that um, sells, like, grains and, and grain presses, and they have an aquaponic system, and so it's all... Um, ways to kind of like grow your own food and to process your own food and to, and to do all that and they host a lot of workshops with the local bread bakers and things like that and so they are very interested in um, being involved in, in that too. So. Cool, cool. Um, any further discussion about the tunnel? Any questions? All right. Uh, we'll go and move on to the uh, parking study, study and inventory. The um, Brian Lee who is going to uh, is a UCLA grad that that we are intentioned to work with, this committee is intentioned to work with, it could not show tonight. So we're gonna go ahead and um, uh, move along uh, past this one. Uh, but just to let you know that it's been my long-standing goal uh, to conduct a parking study, conduct a parking inventory for Silver Lake so that we can then present that to the council um, office and um, and start looking for some really innovative ways um, to solve those problems that we that we feel are problems, such as parking, such as um, different different um, things that we always talk about here in Silver Lake. So, um, um, <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about the parking study for quite a bit. Hey, Jeff, just go ahead and sign in if you don't mind. Um, I think it seems like for us, you know, parking is a huge issue, and everyone cares about it. And the first place to start is just to assess what we have as far as parking goes and what that looks like in order to start thinking about solutions. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, can we, can, can we get an idea? I mean, other parts of the city have gone through this kind of development that we're going through. Can we get ideas from what they did to resolve these issues? I'm sure they had the same ones. Can they... Can they uh, merchants get together and build an underground parking lot or something? I mean, are these kinds of things being discussed, or are we just figuring out how much parking we have? Um, first, can I just introduce the, the two oh. that came in? I'm sorry. Uh, is it three? Okay. All right. Just introduce Joe. yourselves to the, to the group. Joe. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> uh, Joe Farrell. Okay. I'm Jess. Hey, Jess. And Jeff. Jeff, Jeff. Did you? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Jeff. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. Um, and your question is: Are we looking for? Are we looking at other neighborhoods and maybe applying um, what they've done to yeah, here? Because they've been through the same thing we're going through. So I think there's a range of things that we've discussed over the months and um, years. I'm sure. Uh, and so one of the bigger picture things is sustainability, right? Is if we look at um, on a broader picture, outside of human transportation, but the environment and the way that the world is going, overpopulation is, is something that's increasing and the population is growing at a certain rate. When you look at those numbers and you just calculate the amount of people existing and the amount of people with cars, um, there's solutions when you think about that that doesn't entail creating, you know, if the solution isn't containing to produce parking spots for the numbers in the way that we're living now. It, it's actual larger changes in lifestyle and, and accessibility in that way. So. 
So when we talk about parking, we're not necessarily just talking about spaces and spots for cars. Um, and so in that way, we are looking at lots of models too that have been thinking about these things. Uh, lots of small businesses or, or even corporations like Google have thought about. So are you opposed things. to physical parking spaces being created? Well, the other thing too is this isn't like a, it's not like our idea or our solutions versus like everybody else's. We're just, um, as, a, as a committee, I think we've in general been, as, as a discussion for the community as a whole, it seems like people are interested in what looks like sustainable solutions that are effective for the um, for the environment and the community that are inclusive and, and that could okay. be. Okay, I, I don't have any problem with you having that opinion. I just want to know. Are you not going to build any parking? I mean, or are you opposed to that idea? I, I, That's all. And, and, and you say whatever right. you say is fine. I don't know where. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is up for debate right now, yeah. but um, um, the parking study um, will. What you look for in a study, um, you might have like a hypothesis of, of what you think you might find, uh -huh. but the study will reveal certain things about a neighborhood. So we may find that we have uh, too little parking and a parking structure needs to be built, or we have uh, overflow of parking and we're using it, you know, in, um, inefficiently. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll see if that's what the study's for. Uh, Nina? Yeah. Well, well, if I were to answer your, your question directly, for me personally, I think um, any solution that builds more parking or builds more infrastructure for car use is not a thoughtful and sustainable future forward-thinking way to go. That's right. my personal The opinion. answer is that you're not interested in it. That's Nina. my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, let's just move on. Yeah, Nina. I think, I think the important thing is to be open-minded in conducting a Absolutely. Yeah. and a plan. Yeah. And what I was hearing you say is that other communities have handled studies prior to the development, such as Atwater Village, such as Santa Monica, and they're very inclusive of, of all the modes of transportation, whether it's pedestrian, you know, like you cross Glendale Boulevard in Atwater Village, and it's 36 seconds, it's 36 little beats, while this one over here at Lucille, which is much smaller, is just a little bit. So there are a lot of things in terms of a parking study. And I know this committee, when, when I attended six months ago, was even talking about uh, diagonal parking. So there are a lot of issues dealing with, with parking as well as the thought of sustainability. So it's not that it's, well, in terms of my point of view, it may be pissed. I'm not quite 80, but I'm 70, almost 72. <laughs> um, you know, from my point of view, you know, I want to make sure I have transportation. Whether, whether it is walking or whether it's an automobile. All right, it's Nina. It's too hard to get on the bus. <laughs> Thank you, Nina. Jerome? I think, you know, I think it would be great. I know that it's not the agenda of the co-chairs of this committee with respect to really entertain that we need to solve a parking issue in Silver Lake, but I, I would love it if you guys actually would be open to the full community because there is a segment who absolutely believes in you know, sustainability and, and let's not create more parking because there's a belief that creating more parking creates more cars. So let's not do that. But there's a significant part of the community, I'm sure more than 50%, but that's just my opinion, that says, you know what, we really need parking solutions 
because North Silver Lake can't get to South Silver Lake or vice versa because we don't have a dash right now. Um, and so North going to South, there's no parking. South coming to North, there is parking. Um, what I'd like to see, you know, is A, so two things. One, is that you guys actually consider that we should be looking at parking, possible parking solutions to create more parking because this has become a destination place for a lot of people. Silver Lake has become a destination nighttime spot with restaurants and clubs and whatnot. Uh, but the other thing is, is that, you know, I'd like to see this committee actually get behind pushing the city to put a dash in here in Silver Lake that can loop Silver Lake, you know, uh, you know with, with whatever frequency and whatever routes. But that's something that I think we really do need. And I know that we were rebuffed by the city on having a dash here a number of years ago when it was tried. But maybe now's the time. Maybe now's the time that this committee actually work on that because you'll have a lot of the community behind you. I think you'll have a lot of the board members of the council behind you. And that's something that I think many of us can get behind because then we can, those who don't want to get on a bike or can't get on a bike, we actually have a way to get to our shopping destinations and then get back home. I think that's totally, I, I, I mean, I really appreciate what you have to say, and those ideas are, are really important because we have a lot of problems now and, and, and frustrations people live with, and, and so solving those are really important. I think that's what I mean when I, we all have different entry points and accesses that we, you know, our, our shaping solutions come from, and so when I was trying to clarify clearly my point of view, um, that was mine, I reiterated that it was mine for that sake, that it's not the committee's, and, and there are all these um, parking issues, and we are really interested in helping to solve those in, in a really creative way, actually. One of the things that would be, um, we had talked about and would love to look at are, when I think about sustainability, so if we're going to create parking lots, um, which would be helpful now and which would be great, um, what would that look like, say, you know, if, if in a dream, 20 years from now, like Google Car, for example, solves our, our need for cars, our need for parking. So what would we do with those parking lots then? So could we create and design these beautiful structures that are, are like could be turned into parks or like are partly gardens on, on the, like I think some of the cities have done this where they're partly gardens on the side and can be easily converted and it probably won't be that easy, but, and this is a little bit idealistic, but, but it's this idea of can we like meld these things because I, I, I completely sympathize and understand that need and, and would love to make that access happen to people and I'm open. We're all open to that. I think that's what we want. And maybe Matthew can talk about the dash. I think that's something that actually this committee is really, really hoping for. <laughs> and we're really I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it after. Yeah. After we get another uh, Stephanie and then TJ. Okay. I was on the original committee of uh, 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 proposing the dash and then the Silver Lake. So I have the uh, original map. There were uh, about 83 proposals for Department of Transportation, I believe, uh, throughout the, to increase the dash in the neighborhoods as ours. And um, we had, uh, well, it was also nice, uh, Mr. Garcetti, when he was council member, he uh, uh, arranged for a facilitator to help us come up with a plan. We were ranked uh, number 21 of the proposals, and then there was the notion that there's no money to even increase the dash routes, 
and that gets stopped there. It was the money issue for that. That was right. So my question is, uh, but also I understand, I got from Silk Road, the Steelers Neighborhood Council, uh, who is suggesting perhaps Los Feliz and Silver Lake also combine the forces in order to propose more of the uh, of dash because it did we had a even a experimental thing going and everything but <laughs> I would like to know where are those proposals are they in the garbage or are they on the on right. the, uh, and will thank they you, be Steph. part of a mobility plan that's Oh, okay. 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 Thanks, uh, TJ. I just want to clarify this question because you said that you want to go to study to see what the parking is, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like anybody's not really making a suggestion at this point. You want to have a statistic. Mm -hmm. That's the question. You yeah. Want, you want to propose a study to see how many parking spaces there are, so we we can say how many people per capita. So we could proceed um, yes. with actual That's data true. and actual and facts. Talk about what to do about the parking. Uh, right. After the study. <laughs> um, but, um, but just to answer, you know, Jerome, we must be on the same wavelength because um, just today... That would no, be a first. <laughs> it would be a first. Um, um, yeah. Just today I emailed uh, Ginny Shin at the LADOT about DASH. And um, I asked her if, if, if we had a very strong, concrete proposal coming from... Because I am working with Luke Clip. Okay, okay. <laughs> if we have a very strong concrete proposal from two neighborhood councils and we give it to the LEDOT, how favorable would they be to uh, shine their light on us and kind of help us along? Um, because, you know, it seems like an insurmountable task trying to get a dash. They said that, you know, the hills are too high, are too steep for the dash bus, and that, um, that the ridership would be too low. Um, but not in the south. Yes. In the south, um, it, it would actually make sense. Yes. Um, and, and then ar around the south side of Silver Lake. So, um, so yes, we are definitely working on that. That The dash has been on the agenda uh, a few times, actually. It wasn't like a, a few months we were talking about the dash. I encourage everyone to return. We really need all the help we can to get a dash bus. There's a subcommittee but, but, too. But, but, but I do want to... Uh, There's a subcommittee too. If you I, I, I do want to... Yeah, there is. Yeah, I, I can put you on that list as well, Jerome. I do want to get... I want to introduce uh, uh, Claire Bowen and Dr. Paul Simon. Um, they're going to be our, our uh, panelists tonight along with Tyron Lee from the LACBC. Um, and I want to kind of get this discussion going about the mobility plan that kind of encompasses... All of this stuff, anyway, because uh, 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 this is our transportation. If it could be brief, John, yeah, no, please. Very, okay. So maybe, maybe you know, the thing is to revive the whatever maps you guys had for Silver Lake. Yeah. We looked at those with the so with the Los Feliz Neighborhood Council and figure out if those maps are even valid today or if they need right. to be changed. That's right. And 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 bring the two councils together on this issue. Start from scratch. Right. right. Well, that's we what we don't have to. We don't have to. Yeah. All right, that, that's then. what Matthew's saying. The subcommittee's been doing that. We started it a few months ago, so yeah. if you so, wanted... Yeah, uh, sure. I'd be yeah. happy to participate. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. Stephanie yeah. would then as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to skip over the Rowena and Angus walking tours because you're kind of pressing on time now. But um, these have been successful. Uh, uh, Jerome, you were, you were part of this, uh, and Maria's been part of this. And um, we are starting to see some real concrete... Uh, Improvements for Rowena coming from the LEDOT, 
And um, I, I just hope, in fact, I would love this walking tour. I would love people to, to, um, to facilitate and help people bring attention to their street, to their block, and have walking tours about their block and bring the city, the, the, uh, city council staff to that block and say, hey, look, there's a broken sidewalk here. It's been here for three years. Can we do something about it? So, so I'm just going to go ahead, Jeff, if you don't mind. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and dive in. If, is it important? Okay. Really, <laughs> go ahead. Just really quick, Jeff. This sidewalk stuff, where Mitchell Farrell painted arrows before, it's worn off already. We're wasting our time on that. The city okay. knows where the broken sidewalks are. If they want to fix them, they're going to fix them. Otherwise, it's just busy work for people. No okay. offense, but okay. it gets nowhere. And All it's right. been that way for years. Okay, Jeff. Thank you for, for that comment. Um, we're going to go into uh, the uh, Mobility Plan 2035 uh, roundtable presentation. This is an extended discussion on the benefits and concerns surrounding the newly approved Mo uh, LA Mobility Plan 2035. We have uh, Claire Bowen, Senior City Planner, Paul Simon, Director of Division, Chronic Disease and Injury Prevention, and Hiren Lee, as I stated before, of the LACBC. Um, to kick this off, and I know you all are going to have a lot of discussion about this because this is, this is big news, the mobility element of the general plan. Um, let's just dive into a little bit of the history of transportation in L.A. And it sounds, it's more interesting than it sounds. Um, <clears throat> Los Angeles used to have now you may have heard this, you may not have heard this, you may have watched, uh, what is it, Roger Rabbit? Um, the largest light rail, electric light yes. rail network in the country? No, the world. And I can vouch for it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Nina, Nina vouches. It actually existed. Could go from Van Nuys clear to Long Beach. That's a long way. Um, we're involved in the Sunset, uh, Sunset Streetscape Plan, a city, CD13 is helping us. Um, they are digging up where Santa Monica and Sunset come together. It's a junction, and that was created by the streetcars, mass transit. Um, and in excavating parts of that street, right now, well, they might have covered it up. They, there are rail lines there still. And someone took a picture I saw on Facebook. Um, the rail lines are still underneath the streets in many, of, um, in, in many streets. So L.A. already has a history of mass transit. Um, because of evolution, if you want to put it that way, um, of cities, of philosophy, of urban planning, uh, we moved into other, other, other forms and other methods of, of mobility. Um, there, there was a Cabousier who had these um, uh, highways going from skyscraper to skyscraper. Um, you had the, the four square city where cars were going to be, the broad acre city where cars were going to be used. Cars were, were looked at as kind of a panacea to many things, um, to mobility. The, the issue that happened, I think, with Los Angeles, and this is my opinion, and I, I'm, uh, this is just coming from me, is that it was not quite one of the, what I like to call the old and cold cities. So it wasn't Chicago, it wasn't New York where the mass transit was already so developed um, that what they did is just kind of 
put them on the ground or they elevated it like they did in Chicago. L.A. was still growing at a fast clip. By 1930, we already had a million people here. By 1940, it was like almost two million people. So it was, it was growing so rapidly that the, that the philosophies of urban planning at that time, just people just thought, well, cars will take care of it. Um, whether that was, and I'm kind of being a little soft on the, on the oil, rubber, and uh, auto industries right now, but I'm, I'm, being kind of, I'm being kind of soft on them. Being kind of soft. But, but yeah, I'm, being, I'm soft on General Motors right now. But it was part of, and even if, the, if it was a conspiracy, it was part of the larger philosophy of where urban planners were moving. Um, sub, suburbs, the suburban experiment and the idea of suburbanization came in. And how do you get to suburbs? You get to the suburbs by car. Um, so we went through the era of the ascension of the automobile. In 1940, our first freeway opened. You know, cars have been around um, in LA for so long and it's such an integral part of the city that it feels like it was since like the 1800s or maybe the 1700s, maybe the 16th century. But the first freeway, the Royal Segway, uh, was um, opened in 1940. Um, after that, there was um, pretty much an advancement of auto-related or auto-designed um, parts of the city, and it wasn't just our city. It was all cities, pretty much, in the United States and even Europe. Um, 1963 was the last uh, streetcar that, uh, that, went, that went out of operation, that was going to Long Beach, I believe. Um, and we entered a, a stage of no rail transit at all in um, L.A. until about 1990, when the Blue Line opened. Um, that's my history of transportation in Los Angeles. And now we are at a point where we have to begin to think if we want to stay competitive as a metropolitan area, how do we stay competitive with all the other metropolitan areas? You know, cities and metropolitan areas are very much like businesses. They have to attract people. They have to attract industry. And people in industry want to come to places that are innovative, are hip, and, and are manageable, right? L.A. right now doesn't have, it might be hip, but it does, it's not thought to be manageable. And that's hurting us. In fact, we're talking about the Olympics coming. And what's the first thing they talk about when the Olympics is coming? Well, how's everybody going to get around? Mobility is such a huge part of our day-to-day -day experience that we have to, we have to treat it properly. Um, the last update of the mobility element was in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Claire, could you kind of take us back to 1999, walk us back uh, 15 years already? Um, um, yeah, is it 15? <laughs> the years just go. <laughs> yeah, it's 16 years. Um, 16 years, and um, I mean, some of those kids who were born then are already almost looking for graduation um, out of high school. What were, what were we thinking about in 1999, and why do we need a new, revamped mobility, a mobility plan? Why did 1999's uh, dream or idea suffice? Good question. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
1999 plan was actually fairly forward-thinking for its time. It was contemplating the build-out of the, of the Long Beach Line, and it actually planned for the Red Line and many of the lines that are actually have been built. So we've done a lot that was actually described in that 1999 plan. It didn't, though, imagine the, the increase in kind of, well, it, it did even kind of start to plan for the growth, but it did, it was still a little bit stuck in the, in the 20th century in that it still kind of gave most of its homage to, to the cars. It still talked about continuing to have these three major arterial types, secondary highway, major highway class one and two. Those names just kind of, they evoke the car. So the, really the, there was talk about pedestrians, there's to talk about bicyclists, but not really kind of fully embracing it. So it was kind of, because the transportation that was envisioned, it hadn't yet been built to the Long Beach line hadn't yet opened yet. So I think there wasn't quite an embrace of really what the potential was. So kind of fast forward 15, 16 years, and we now have the benefit of that rail system being put in place. We have voted ourselves in the intervening years to spend money to put even more of it. And I think we're going to get asked next year to do more. And overwhelmingly in those votes, um, or those ballot measures, people have overwhelmingly said, yes, let's keep spending money for transit. Because we recognize that our roadways are only so wide. And if you only think about the, how we're going to move people around on the car, you can only kind of fit so many cars through that roadway without having to keep widening it. And in the intervening years, people have said, well, we don't really want those roads to get super wide because that makes it harder for people to walk. We wonder why people drive their kids two blocks to school. It's because we have, we've designed our streets to be wide. They don't feel safe. People aren't feeling comfortable biking. Um, or, and it makes, anyway. Um, so kind of the idea with the mobility plan is saying, you know, now at night, now in 2015, and with even more transit kind of on the horizon, and with a lot of people saying, whether you're older saying, gee, I don't really want to drive anymore, maybe I can't drive, and also a younger generation coming in and saying, I'd rather be walking and bicycling or taking transit because I recognize the benefits. I recognize that the cost of the car doesn't really work for my, from, a, my, you know, from an economic perspective. And so there's a lot of interest in seeing us kind of start to, to make some changes in how we, how we do business. Because again, all those wide streets haven't helped us get out of congestion. Congestion is just kind of this big kind of elephant in the room that we always kept, and even back in the 1999 plan, it talked about solving congestion. And I would argue that you can never solve for congestion. That it's kind of like the if you build it, they will come kind of prophecy. We've widened the 405 freeway, we add another lane. I wouldn't say that we've relieved congestion out there. Um, and that's why, you know, things like biking and walking or areas or increasing space in your roads for, for, for bicyclists and for transit, you can move a lot more people in that same roadway area than you can by, um, by moving the cars, cars through there. Um, so Claire, um, so first of all, you can introduce yourself. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, you did. Um, That's Claire Bryan, a senior city planner. Why, uh, and, and let's keep our questions um, uh, more towards the end so we just kind of get through this um, uh, format here. Um, why do we need it now? What isn't working with that old plan, and why do we need to revamp it now? Um, 
because the a plan that again focused a lot on roadways and roadway widths and cars going fast because again it was all about relieving congestion that has created an environment that's unsafe cars go fast when there's not congestion um, it's created an environment that again where people don't feel comfortable doing other modes we're also under mandate by the state to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions um, by you know 20 like by 35 percent by 2020 and cars or vehicles actually contribute to, I think, 37% of greenhouse gas emissions in the state. And of that 37%, like 80-some-odd percent are from passenger vehicles. So we know that cars play a big role in our greenhouse gas emissions. And obviously, we all, we're living with all the heat right now. We know the impacts of, of climate change. And it really is um, in all of our best interests that we look for a variety of solutions to solve that. So there's kind of, there's mandate to do it. There's also, there was a state law passed a couple of years ago called the Complete Streets Act. Because again, kind of recognizing that facilitating people moving around their, their neighborhoods and around their city by giving them options and choices, um, we are creating a much more kind of holistic environment. Because again, people are, say, are telling us they don't want to always just be driving. People want the choice to be able to do other other things. Mm -hmm. um, and how does, uh, I, Paul, if you'd like to introduce yourself. I kind of introduced you already, but you can kind of introduce yourself to the group if you like. Sure. I'm Paul Simon. I work for the county, not the city of LA, the county of Los Angeles. I'm in the Department of Public Health, and I oversee a division called Chronic Disease and Injury Prevention. Um, uh, I'm also a pediatrician. Um, I'm also a Silver Lake resident. I live up on Moreno, so I'm, and I follow with great interest all the discussions about the, the community as it relates to transportation, Rowena, but other issues as well. You know, why am I here? Um, I mean, <laughs> if I, you'd I, like to explain yeah, to I, the people I, why, I, why, I, why I invited you. Yeah, I could have very comfortably <laughs> been here sitting on that side. <laughs> because I, I don't have expertise in transportation or land use planning. But I've worked in public health for about 25 years, and there's been quite a transformation in, in how we view our work in public health. Um, 20 years ago, it was really focused on medical services, making sure everybody has a doctor and uh, medical services that they need. And then when it came to healthy lifestyles, it was all about, quote, educating people and encouraging people. And we found that we weren't getting the results that we would like. And in the interval period, um, we've now seen a real, I would say, almost crisis in terms of chronic disease incidents. We're seeing rapidly rising rates of obesity and diabetes, and diabetes is associated with all kinds of problems, heart disease, stroke. It's um, going to bankrupt us, and the healthcare system uh, costs us a lot of money. It's uh, about, believe it or not, about 18% of our entire gross domestic product, our entire economic output is spent now on, on health care. We spend about 50% more on health care than any other country in the world. And what's really striking is despite the fact that we spend so much more on health care, when you look at life expectancy, um, we're only middle of the road. A lot of the countries that spend a lot less uh, actually live longer and actually have lower rates of illness. They actually not only live longer but more healthfully. And I think it's through those observations and then a lot of research, I think, that has come the, the recognition that a lot of our health really is shaped 
by factors not within the, the walls of a clinic or a hospital, but rather out in, in our communities. Um, and there are lots of pathways through which uh, I think our community environments influence our health. But one big one is uh, relates to physical activity. Um, there's a general belief, I think, that to be healthy you need to, quote, exercise. You have to somehow carve out 30 minutes to an hour every day or every other day to go to the health club or do some kind of structured exercise. But the, from a population standpoint, the greatest health improvement will happen if we can get the 50% or so of the population that right now is completely sedentary, just walking, just walking 30 minutes a day across the population, that's going to yield the greatest return in terms of improved health. So with that recognition, we've been working with lots of new partners over the last 10, 15 years. Again, it goes beyond land use and transportation, but we have a particular interest in transportation. So we've gotten to know folks in, in the city of LA and in, in the 87 other cities that oversee land use planning and transportation planning. When we've gotten grant funds, we've got some, we've been fairly successful at getting federal grants to improve health. And we put a lot of that money out uh, to community organizations, but now we're also funding cities and we've provided some financial support to the city of LA's planning department and also the transportation department. Over the last five years, I've gotten to know the staff in those two departments. I've actually been very impressed. I think they're very well respected across the country, actually. Um, I think the politics in L.A. sometimes works against us, but in terms of the technical expertise of the staff, it's really first rate. Um, our interest really is in creating environments where it's easy for people to walk and bike safely. Uh, and I say safely because, um, believe it or not, traffic-related injuries Fatalities are the, uh, the third leading cause of premature death in the county population. It's, it's a big deal. So safety is, is really important. I don't have the answers uh, in terms of how you create uh, a friendly environment for That's why Claire's here. Yeah. And I, you know, for example, I disagree with my staff sometimes just on, on instinct, not being you know, a professional, but I, many of my staff will argue that we need a complete street everywhere. All streets should be complete streets. Whereas I wonder, you know, maybe we shouldn't have bikes on every street. Maybe we should create bike networks that are safer and allow some streets to really focus on cars. But, you know, that's just my kind of, non, you know, my... So, so Paul, with that bike network, do you want to say something? Well, I had a question a little yeah. bit. This, I, I love this link um, to, from public health to transportation and kind of a holistic look at it because there's no way to separate any of these things. Um, so I guess... Um, just goes, I'm a scientist at USC, and um, a lot of research has been working on looking at, um, particularly in LA, the way that highways um, and pollution have affected um, health and socioeconomically um, implementations of that too. Because people who live by highways are, you know, are, are different, have different access and of different class, and um, and the studies have looked at just the proximity of highways and that pollution. So first, the, the talk about just the environment and greenhouse gases, which is huge, and that's an, one aspect that then the effects on humans and actually breathing mm -hmm. that toxicity has been shown quite recently in the last um, five years. There's been a huge increase both in uh, grants that have been going to the study because the link between um, uh, that is, is been big, and there's been huge overlap between neuroscience and, and these uh, um, social um, studies where th they actually look at the sediments that are picked up 
say a mile from the freeway and, and five miles from the freeway and um, they, they work with mice and they work with and then they look at studies on the rates of obesity for communities that are around there and for autism and actually developmental issues and so that that's huge and I, I didn't realize actually that the county in the public health sector was was giving money and and um, collaborating with transportation and so I one, I was wondering about that consideration, because um, you talked about safety of, of just, or um, health as far as like walking and that mobility, but there are these greater ones. All these different competing forces, yeah. Right. We work really closely with the USC folks as well. They're world-class researchers, yeah. and they've shown that, that ultra-fine particles in particular, they're so small that they get deep into the lungs and then into the bloodstream, and they can cause all kinds of problems. Paul, how, how far do I, because it's really, really concerns me. Is it a third of a mile, or is it a full mile that I need to live away from the freeway? Yeah, we've been asked, what, what, what should the buffer be? Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't think one size fits all. Uh, you look like you have some... Can I ask a question really quick? Could we just get... Well, sure. Let me just say real quickly, okay. um, I think it depends on the, uh, the road conditions. I think some freeways are more dangerous than others. I'm concerned because the research has been done specifically on proximity to freeways. But my guess is if you look at air quality next to some of these really busy roadways, you're going to find some of the same risks. So, the, you know, generally speaking, they say 1,000 feet. But it's not as if within 1,000 feet there's risk and beyond 1,000 feet there's no risk. It's a gradual, you know. It also if, if you don't do mind, just hold that question. Just let me just get through the panel. Yeah, it also has to do with the winds. I mean, yeah. so you could be really close to a freeway, but if you're upwind from uh, it, and you that can makes be, sense. Yeah. So that's a real. We've been really struggling with that question: Do the, the health benefits of physical activity outweigh the potential harms, or been inhaling more of these air pollutants with that with exercise? And so far, the, I mean, the best research we've seen is from Europe, and it would suggest that the physical activity benefits do outweigh those risks, but I think people need to recognize that if they're exercising, uh, particularly if they're running um, or bicycling really vigorously and breathing a lot, and they're doing it along a busy roadway, there's probably more risk than if you were doing it on a country road. And you brought up, I'm sorry. I was going to say that they've also found, because people have said to us, that's why we shouldn't be allowing bicycles along our arterials. Mm. There's been a lot of studies that have actually um, evidence that you can be driving on that street, and that car, that little box, is not protecting yeah, you. So you're still going to be breathing it in. So yes, if you're at least if you're biking, you're getting those other health benefits that kind of again outweigh. And um, we're just going to hold the questions until the end. And that segues really nicely and smoothly <laughs> into <laughs> Iron Lee, who is here from the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the bike network and how this plays into the grander? mobility plan. Could you tell us where, where bike lanes are going to be in Silver Lake in the um, future, perhaps? Yeah, I was just looking at the map right now, and then, so the, the great thing about the mobility plan... And you can introduce yourself to okay, I'm sorry. Okay, so keep... I'm a policy and outreach coordinator <laughs> yeah. at LACBC. I've been going to these uh, neighborhood council meetings here and uh, all over the places just to like kind of preach, you know, like <laughs> mobility plan is good for everybody. Preach! Um, but um, I'm so happy to be here. And then uh, the great thing about mobility plan is that it's it's really inclusive. It has it's a, a total package. It's like you know um, it has complete streets uh, policy. It has Vision Zero that we're also going to talk about. Uh, it, safety first. It's not only talking about biking but also walking, transit, 
even vehicles. Like it, it talks about everything. That's that's what I really really. So love what about. about that bike network? Oh, so the bike network. The 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 key point of here is that LA is now committed to build better bicycle infrastructure. Yay. So um, meaning that we're not just gonna strike bike lanes on sunset and then pretend like bicyclists are safe. But we're looking at building really nice, uh, high-quality, protective bike lanes along these corridors that that really connects different parts of LA. So it's not just going to be you know one street that has really great bike lanes. Like for example, Spring Street. Uh, Spring Street actually is a good a network connector. But Spring then, Street you know, downtown. Downtown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then like Spring Street, Spring Street has a nice you know green. Uh, buffered bike lanes, but not all streets has that. So you know, if you are on the Spring Street, you will feel safe. But then you you are you you make a right or left turn from Spring Street, you'll be on the street that has no bike lane and no protection whatsoever. So you know, it's really important to uh, connect that network or make the network of bicycle networks a uh, high quality bicycle network, so that people who are mostly uh, interested but afraid of riding a bicycle can easily, you know, uh, Paul talked about easy, easy travel and safe, and safe travel, right? So those are the two things that, you know, people can actually make that alternative choices. Uh, not all the time, but maybe sometimes when they're going to groceries, I hop on your bicycle and then feel safe about going there and coming back, probably with your kid, you know? So that's, uh, that's what Mobility Plan is really all about, making that net network of safe streets that people can travel by walking and, you know, by can I that? I think just one of the, the really key things, and that was a great description of the um, uh, part of the plan, and the, I think, though, that some of the controversy around the plan has been around these networks. There is a bicycle enhanced network. Um, the Harvard City is about protected bicycle lanes. We also have a transit network, and there is actually even a little bit of a vehicle network. Um, there's been, I think, an assumption, though, that we're going to do all these things tomorrow, and I think one of the key things about the plan is that it's a policy document. It basically lays out, this is a roadmap, so to speak, of how we're going to, how we as a city and we as a citizenry are going to make decisions over the next 20 years, so that when communities are asking for changes in their area or when DOT or BOE are working on projects, then instead of looking at those improvements through the lens of how is this going to benefit the car, we're looking at our future capital improvements and any other kind of decisions, whether it's education or other our maintenance issues, that we're looking at it through the lens of how is this going to benefit a, a wide variety of modal users. And the idea is that the networks basically lay out a concept about where it makes sense for certain streets to be focused on or prioritized for, 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 for bicycling. I mean, Paul was saying earlier that maybe not every street, even though every street legally is a bicycle street because bicycles are allowed everywhere, but maybe it does make sense to say some of these arterials really deserve to have a bit more space given up for the bicycle and other streets maybe need to have a little bit more space given up for, for, the, for the bus but that the implementation of those and the decisions to where those actual network uh, improvements are going to go will still require a lot more public engagement. We don't know what the design of that looks like, and we don't necessarily know where we're going to get started. So I think that it's just really one of the things I really want to leave with you guys today, that the actual 
implementation of the plan is going to rely a lot on more community engagement and more conversation with the community going forward. But again, I think people have fear that we're going to come do all this tomorrow. And I think the conversation you guys were having at the beginning when I walked in was really an exciting one. And it's the kind of the conversation that we certainly anticipate having more of in terms of implementing the plan. We want to hear from the community. So maybe it's not just about saying, oh, let's go put a bicycle plan, bicycle lane here. It's about holistically looking at your problems, looking at, okay, the dash, or there's parking, or maybe there's challenges getting kids to school in a certain area because we're seeing that there's high rates of collisions or there's speeding. So let's come into the community and have you guys tell us where what you think are the problems. And we're going to then help solve those problems with kind of mobility plan in mind. Again, we're guided by the policies that now say, you know, we're going to reduce, um, reduce um, injuries and we're going to look at the lens of other choices. So Paul, um, is there a relationship between um, lower income and um, lower income, poor health, and not manageable or inferior infrastructure? Let me take the first two. Okay. Uh, that's an easy connection. There is really compelling evidence, and it's amazingly consistent across different communities and even societies, countries. Um, an inverse relationship between socioeconomic status and health. There are a few interesting exceptions. The Hispanic population, for example, in the southwest United States, despite high levels of poverty, um, tends to have a longer life expectancy than one would predict, and there hold a lot of hypotheses about why that is. But um, generally speaking, low-income communities have much worse health outcomes across across the board. We see it in LA County, for example, just just one example. We see childhood obesity rates in many of the low-income communities that are above 30 percent, and then in the more affluent communities, it's, they're below 10 percent. I mean, these aren't subtle differences; they're just really dramatic. Now. We think infrastructure plays an important role. Um, just, I'm, you know, I'm not sure there's as strong of a research base, but just doing, you know, observation, comparing communities. Uh, the food environment is a great example. Big, big differences between the food environments in lower income communities and more affluent communities. Park space per capita, we've looked at that. Big, big differences. Uh, roadway design, I'm not sure. I would be interested um, in that. But one of the reasons we funded, actually, the city of L.A. to create a health atlas was to look at that very thing, to juxtapose disparities in health outcomes with differences across communities in the way the, the city's design, neighborhoods are designed. And I think we did, we have seen lots of overlap if you, you know, superimpose maps of health patterns with... Uh, you know, patterns of community design along a number of variables. We see lots of, of overlap. Um, density of liquor stores, you know, correlates with, with all kinds of adverse right. outcomes in violence. <laughs> We're going to take questions from the audience at the end of, of the panel discussion. Can, can I just interject? It would be awesome if you could actually give us enough time, because I think having professionals here no, would be great. No, you will. You, you, will you will get enough time. Students. Yeah, you will. Okay. You will, Jerome. I've been thinking about that a lot. Okay. We'll get enough time. Francis, you have any other Okay. Um, so, Hiron, um, my last question to you is, okay, so um, you see these, I've heard this, and maybe you can help me out. Mm -hmm. So, bike lanes are put into a community 
and this is and this is relationship and, and your and your experience with because uh, let me just be uh, let's be frank. When I first moved yes, to LA, please. when 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 I, when I first moved to LA, um, the actually the only people I saw biking were uh, workers, Latino workers. Mm-hmm. Um, then I moved to Silver Lake, and, and it seems like there was this groundswell of younger people, um, gentrifying people, you know, starting to ride bikes, and it became kind of like a hip thing. Um, is there a, a correlation? What, what happens? Uh, are we planning? Uh, are we planning for bikes to uh, to aid in lower income people as well, or is it just something that we're going to be putting bike lanes in, like you know, hip mm-hmm. and higher income neighborhoods? Oh, yeah, I think that's a really, really uh, great point that you raised because our focus as the LACBC is like uh, primarily in the equity of this mobility plan. Uh, uh, he, uh, Paul talked about how the, the health map uh, co- like really corresponds to the lower income area, but transportation is kind of the same. Uh, I, as a graduate student of UCLA, did a, like a heat map of uh, collisions in in the in the city of LA, and then the income map and the collision hotspots mm. map like exactly correlated, and mostly because lower income community also walk, bike, and take transit a lot. That kind of like expose themselves to like more danger, and then the the invest in in our infrastructure was made. Uh, you know the the health environment, uh, the built environment of their the neighborhood, is, you know. Like, what do you say? At the worst, than you know, mostly affluent areas. Um, so it like directly corresponds to that. And then uh, the city just launched this this uh, policy initiative called the Vision Zero, which is to uh, eliminate uh, traffic death by 2025. And according to the city's data, um, actually. Uh, the high injury network that they they identified like exactly correlates to the lower income area mm. Mm. here. So that means you know the the areas that have a lot more pedestrians and bicyclists okay. tend to have more uh, severe and fatality, severe injuries and fatalities. But also means that you know those are the areas that need the most uh, investment. Uh, in the next 20 years. So I think that mobility plan really uh, uh, incorporates this uh, commitment to make uh, make these improvements, uh, not only those affluent areas, but also this focused area that really need uh, help. All right, I'm, so yeah. that, that's the end of, of my panel discussion. Uh, uh, questions to the panels? And Francis, do you have any? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just wanted yeah. to just say before we open it up to to the um, audience, how's everybody doing? Are, do you need more air? Are you feeling comfortable? You want the window open? There's water right there in the back. There's a key floating around. Please don't lose that key. Well, we'll never be let in here again. Okay, so if you need that key, you can get into the bathroom. All right, so we're going to start. Um, yeah, get yourself some water. Um, we're going to start some questions here. We got about 45 minutes of questions. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> we're gonna try to go. I know everybody has a question, so um, so just uh, we'll give you about uh, spend a time, about three, three, four minutes. All right, right here. Go uh, ahead. This is probably gonna be for Claire, but whoever wants to answer it. We're noticing that 
that at least in Silver Lake that the bicyclists are not obeying the stop signs and signals? Is there that would be a higher end question. education <laughs> program to mm -hmm. inform not the community right. and the people who presumably will be on bicycles that they are considered vehicles right. under the vehicle code and they have to follow those same rules? Mm -hmm. uh, so I can. Go ahead. Have we changed the law? Yeah, uh, so that. I can answer that. So LACBC actually got a grant from Metro to educate cyclists because, you know, the most common argument that, you know, I get in these meetings or, or like outreach table or wherever uh, is that, you know, bicyclists don't follow the rules. They always run stop signs. Well, it's dangerous uh, to pedestrians yeah, exactly. if they do it. Exactly. So, um, you know, we don't want that to happen. And then, so as a nonprofit organization that advocates for bicyclists, I think we, it's our responsibility to uh, educate uh, bicyclists. And that, that's why we've been doing series of uh, safety classes, you know, really comprehensive uh, bicycle education classes throughout the county. Because um, we, we got funding from Metro. And multiple um, languages, I Okay, just, yeah, just exactly. one question. Um, and, and, you know, like, that's something that community, the communities like you guys can totally bring to us. And then, you know, hey, obviously you, you guys will not know like all the rules of the road and, you know, obviously need a you know, certified instructor to come in to the Silver Lake community and say, hey, you know, there's so many bicyclists on Silver Lake that are going like 30 miles an hour sometimes going downhill and that kind of dangerous pedestrian, etc. You know, um, there's, there are always, we have tools and tools and, you know, people who can come into the community and do these uh, safety classes if you're willing. But yeah, they're definitely... Well, we're definitely going to ask you to, to do that when you come back, um, yes. to come in and bring safety classes. Uh, who's next? Uh, Nina, and then... I think she's oh, okay, 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 right here. Right here, right here and then Nina, and then Jerome. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, I just have one question, Mr. Rockwell, I have more later. But I... So um, I'm a cyclist, um, and uh, my big interest, or not solely, but um, a very important interest of mine is how this does affect like lower socioeconomic communities. And it's a community that I come from. It's the history that I come from, and it's a history that I'm very tied to. Um, and so both of you mentioned uh, that you've done research or that you've come across research that, that speaks to um, like environmental dangers that happen to people who are forced into these like non-desirable areas. And I just wanted to know where that research is, where can I find it, where can I read it? And then um, is there any other related um, information that I could come, up, uh, come into as well? Who are you asking, Paul? Uh, sorry, yes, I'm asking Paul and I forgot your name. Francis. Okay. Francis. Well, one resource would be the, the City of LA's Health Atlas. Uh, in, they can find it online. I think if you Google City of LA Health Atlas, you go right to it. Healthyplan.la. Is it healthyplan.la? Um, that really provides a lot of information about the city. The Department of Transportation also uh, has done a, a recent analysis. Yeah, Vision Zero, exactly. That's just what I was going to mention. They've, they've done uh, an analysis, and you alluded to this as well, that identifies the higher risk the highest risk, not just intersections, but corridors. And they definitely are concentrated in certain areas, many of them lower income communities. So 
That, now that should be publicly available. Yeah, that's yeah, it's it is. Yeah. It says here 65% of all deaths and severe injuries involving people walking occurred on just 6% of our streets. So one of the things that the Department of Transportation is how does it uh, find where are where are the real dangers first? Yeah. All right. And they have a map on this yeah. side. Thank you. Vision, vision zero dot, uh, Thank you, Stephanie. Well, when we talk about studies and, and research, um, so there's you know there's a lot of like correlation data, right? And what's correlation and causal? And the scientists are really careful about you know saying those things. And so the research that's being done, as far as when I say. Um, that there are d developmental issues or obesity that's done mostly on, on mice. And so what, uh, at least a lot of the studies that are done that are recently published, which is publicly available, um, which I can direct you to, or can, you know, they're, they're academic papers, so they're kind of monotonous and obnoxious to read, but they take, you know, the, what the, the actual experiments um, overall are being done are they're taking air from certain areas um, of, of the community, so like that intersection of the 10 and the 110 is a huge area and, and other places, and they spin those particles down and then they, they um, aerate uh, the environment of mice, and then they look at the effects um, of development on young mice, and they look at um, the obesity rates and, and neurological developments and things like that, and they can study those very specifically. And then there is other uh, research that's done that's a social research that looks at um, just obesity rates in communities of, you know, particular communities and, and looking at socioeconomic conditions and, and areas. And so there, there's that correlation that can then be, can then be made in um, relation to, 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 like, actual direct causal data, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so both, so a lot of those numbers on the public health uh, index uh, websites are, are going to tell you about the numbers of, um, you know, the difference between, like, the rates of autism in certain areas and certain communities versus other communities and other areas. Um, and then these studies will, will give you direct um, evidence for for certain environments on, on probably more animal studies. Right. We don't necessarily feed these chemicals to humans. So. Yeah. Hi. In terms of one more study, there's uh, the study of First 5 LA that did it for children 0 to 5. And as a result of that, they did give $41 million to public health. Uh, to, uh, to deal with, with uh, childhood obesity and the fact of inactivity. Uh, I have a couple of questions because it's two questions. And who are they yes, directed to, Nina? Uh, uh, Paul. Okay. Uh, has the county conducted any walkability studies? Because I know uh, the city of Pasadena Health Department did conduct a walkability study in Pasadena, mm -hmm. which which really talked about safety, not only the safety, but you know, uh, is the infrastructure there. And then the other question I have for, I, I guess, Claire, is in terms of the mobility plan is out there. You know, it's, it's in concept. But what is being done in the interim, for example, there's a appears to be I do drive but not as much as I used to. Okay. But there's appears to be an inequality of signage. For example, if you go across the Shakespeare Bridge, 
there's, there's a clear sign that says, share the road. But there are several places here in Silver Lake that that sign is lacking. Uh, in going to Santa Monica, lots of share of the road. Mm -hmm. So when is, I think that's a, a middle step uh, be, before the, the mobility plan might be implemented. So the first question, yeah, that's that's good. So the first question was about walkability. Walkability, whether that was happened, that has happened, whether there's an interest, you know, interest in that because you know, I could walk and I, I'm very sensitive. I, I mean, I only wear rubber shoes now because <laughs> I can't. I've broken my leg twice with leather All right. soles. So Paul. Yeah, walkability audits are really important things to do. We, we've worked with about 20 of the 88 cities on pedestrian, trying to expand pedestrian infrastructure. And some of those, I don't know the exact number, but some we've worked with consultants and the community to do walkability audits. And I've actually participated in one. It was very illuminating. Um, I mean, you are taught to see things that normally you wouldn't even notice. Um, I don't have staff with specific expertise to lead walkability audits right now. Our staff, our funding is pretty limited in this area. But we, again, we have with our grant funds used consultants to help lead those processes. But I would say there's a much greater need to, to do that on a more widespread basis than what we have resources to do right now. But it's, it's a great point. Great and Nina, your second question was about, is that to Paul as well? What's going to happen in the interim? In the interim. I think that was a clear. Yeah. There are not enough signs that say share the road. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, there's a new state law that says that automobiles have to stay with uh, three feet. At the three, three feet, feet. Yeah. Okay. from right. a car. Right. But, but you know, unless that. there's a share yeah. of the road, it's, sure. it puts the, the cyclists at jeopardy. Right. So the Department of Transportation actually the last number of years has been trying to get more signs out there in general. I mean, it's not, it is kind of an interim, but it's also, it's just, the plan is definitely going to be a plan that's going to evolve over time. So they are trying to continuously find more money to put in more signage because that is kind of an easy way to start. That we have a plan, or there's a network in the plan called the Neighborhood Network, which really focuses on kind of local streets, which really are good for bicycling and walking. And that's where really the share the road is really a good <laughs> approach because those are our streets because they are smaller, that cars typically are going slower. And so there are, those are good places to share the road where they don't necessarily need you know, some kind of lane to feel comfortable. And I mean, you have to share the road even if the sign's not there anyway, but the signage does, is one step. It's helpful. It's, it is very helpful. So it is kind of one kind of inexpensive first step we can do. Maybe we get share the road signs in more places, and then we can come back in later and look at maybe that local street, there's an intersection where it crosses an arterial, and the pedestrians and the bicyclists could use some help getting across that arterial to be able to continue on that local kind of neighborhood street. Maybe you come in and do an intervention there. So again, kind of an iterative process. Did that answer your question, Nina? Yes. Okay. All right, Jerome, and who are you directing the comment to? I want to be for clear, and just so you know, there's like three parts to this question. So there can be okay. <laughs> so can, can you just ask the first one? Yeah. Okay. Are there more streets? But well, you are aware of what happens has happened on Rowena and the, and the outcry from the community about the issues on Rowena. Yes. Okay. Um, are there more streets in Silver Lake that are slated for that kind of implementation? The 
according to the LA Times, with that little map with the purple lines, there is. But is is Hyperion slated for that as well? So again, I was mentioning earlier how the plan is basically a concept. Oh, those networks are concept maps, sure. and that nothing is going to get done in the future without much more community engagement. We have to do design development. We have to do a different additional environmental work. The the project on Rowena was done under a different general manager sure. of DOT. A little bit different attitude about the importance sure, of community it wasn't engagement. Really part of the mobility plan. It wasn't part of the mobility plan. So. I can't remember, and actually, everyone's looking it up right now whether Hyperion is or not. But all I can, you know, I can say is that we're going to one use data to help us kind of determine again where we should be putting our Good. our is resources. That, this actually, yeah, this actually leads me to the next exact next part of the okay. question: is what okay. studies, actual studies, do would you would DOT intend to do before implementing something like what we did on Rowena on other streets? So I guess, so first of all, that we would use data to come to help even determine where our priorities should be. Because again, we're a big city, limited resources. We want to make sure that the investments that we're making in our city streets do the most benefit. So again, looking at the places where you have the highest collision, where you have the community's lowest income, where is it going to have, again, the biggest bang for your buck. Um, but in terms of before you actually go, go and do an improvement, we, we want to do data beforehand. We want to do studies to determine what are the problems you're trying to solve for, and then do studies afterwards too and make sure that, we're, that the kind of improvements we're doing are helping us achieve the kind of improvements we want. But you also would have to do an environment, do additional environmental work to determine what would be the impacts. Good, yeah, so the third part of that question, the last part of that question then is in terms of the, I mean, because an EIR is already done for the mobility plan. It's not that an At EIR is going to be done for each individual street. You probably wouldn't need any, well, it, it might or might a not. It, 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 a big project could require it. There might have to still be additional traffic studies. So the an EIR that was done for the mobility plan was done at a very programmatic level. It was not done at a project level. So let's say that Metro wanted to, we have Sunset Boulevard, I think, actually on the transit network as well as the bicycle network because it's such an important um, street and there's obviously very limited streets in this area that can accommodate bicycles and, and transit. But before Metro could drop a bus only lane in here, for example, they would have to do probably an environmental document. And so part of that environmental document would, would have to look at the impact, let's say, whatever it is, whether it's a bus lane or bike lanes or whatever, would have to look at possible cut through traffic that cars would then migrate to the to the residential streets. Right, and we have or a mitigation in the plan that talks about, you know, looking then at the, in, looking at the neighborhood streets and maybe there's things that DOT could do to ensure that the cut through traffic, if it does occur, that it's it's done um, in ways that it's going slower speeds or you're limiting it altogether. You're prohibiting it. Does that answer all your questions? Those three parts? Sure. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jerome. He has TJ. more, I'm sure. <laughs> you can always come back. You can always come back. TJ. And, and, who are you directing that to? Oh, um, actually to Claire, Paul, and Aaron, um, I guess at the same time at this point, as I said that uh, a bit of my questions are wrapped up with some of that answer. Um, I guess that the question is, how optimistic are we, you all collectively, <laughs> about seeing any really effective change within uh, the course of the next 20 years? Uh, how much do you think is going to be Compromise or little down or opposed to, and you know, of course, in my opinion, opposed to for the wrong reasons. But you know, everybody's voice is going to matter, and I, I know that there's a lot of viral discussion, chatter on the internet, and uh, 
people with feelings anti-cycling and this and that, but I'm just, I'm curious how optimistic we are. You know, I, I tend to be an optimist. I think that I'm trying to look <laughs> Gotta at stay city. positive. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, it's definitely a challenge. We're a city, you know, experiencing a lot of change right now. And I think change scares people. And while I would be naive to think that everything that's in the, described in the plan will get accomplished in 20 years, I don't think that's going to happen. Will we make some, some inroads and make some major inroads? You know, I'd like to think so. The 20 years is both a short time and a long time. And I look at the la what's happened here in the last 20 years. Again, yeah. in 20 years, we've built out a rail system that didn't exist. Right. That has led to a lot of interest and, and pressure for change. So I think in the next 20 years, we will continue to see kind of communities wanting those things. And I think once you get in some good demonstration projects, you'll find communities that today are very resistant saying, come do that in my community. Because we see that when we do other kinds of projects. So I'm hopeful. I think that also it's going to take um, a lot, again, politicians respond to what their communities are asking for. So again, as there continues to build community interest in seeing these improvements, then you'll start to see more and more um, political leadership wanting to rush and put them in. There's so much infrastructure that has existed in the past and torn down, repurposed, and yes. now is slated for 10, 20 years out to be repurposed into the thing that it was decades and decades yes. ago. And Cities are messy, complicated things. They're always growing. There are tunnel that goes under sunset. You know, like that was built for a reason. Why is it not used? And not, you know, like cities are like organisms. They're organisms. They're continuing. They're not. They're never done. There's never a moment you go, okay, great. We don't have to do anything more. Cities are. They're like keeping up with your house. There's always something to do and repair and change and evolve. And it's just part of the messy problems. Like, I've, I've always grown up with the impression that truly great urban planners over the decades in the history of this city in particular were forced into early retirement or some type of frustrated I quit <laughs> situation because of opposition and pressure from lobbying groups and uh, other powers that be. I wish you all the best. I think you have the, 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 the great uh, synopsis of the, the situation. Of course, I'm a supporter. I would say one thing that, and I think Claire touched on it, is that <clears throat> because we started building this, this rail network with 80 stations um, over, since 1990, and we are looking at five rail lines, um, extensions, um, or completely new rail lines being completed uh, within the next, let's say, 10 years, hopefully, um, that the pressure, once you start that ball rolling, once you, you can't really close that box again. So uh, we see that in the Valley, where uh, they had the Robbins Bill that pretty much outlawed um, any underground tunneling during, during the 90s. So they didn't get the subway. Or they didn't, and then when, they, when Metro uh, proposed a light rail, they still said no, that was a Robbins Bill. And in fact, instead, they got the Orange Line. Yes. What, what does the Valley say now? Where's our rail? Because every, every place else in the county there's a Crenshaw line being built. Expo's going to Santa Monica. You have the downtown connector. You have um, a Gold Line being extended all the way to past Azusa, Duarte, and all these other places. So, 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 so the Valley is saying, hey, so why can't we get into this? Well, because some, some, not very un well, some unfortunate decisions was made 20 years ago. But as this network grows, as more bike lanes uh, 
come online. And as more neighborhoods kind of, kind of uh, engage in this kind of complete streets, I bet you other neighborhoods are going to say, I want that too. So. There used to be a trolley going down my street. Now it's a parade of road rage. <laughs> a trolley a long, long time ago. Our, our last trolley was 1963. So that's some time ago. And, and I did kind of go through my history, a little tap dance. So, you know, we understand what happened. And we're trying to, we're trying to reverse some of those. Lisa? And, and who are you directing this to? Uh, maybe mostly Claire. But anybody's <laughs> I'll let them answer the <laughs> I, a, I think it's a two-part question. The two of you alluded to the the idea that maybe some roads would maybe be more car-centric. I'm not sure if you were saying that because you mentioned buses, but I'm wondering what the thinking is about just saying, okay, this is really where we're going to let cars go faster if that's not part of the thinking. And related to that, one of my questions throughout the months of discussion about this has been... Uh, Clara, you mentioned, and I've heard this before, that it really is going to be neighborhood by neighborhood and community by com community, but you need some kind of citywide plan or the whole thing isn't going to work. So that sounds like two competing challenges, and I'm wondering how that gets reconciled. No, that's, that's a really good question. So and it really probably depends on the... The infrastructure, so certainly at a, at a, at a bus, a bus only, like a transit only lane, we're going to need to look beyond just just the neighborhood. That would probably would be much more kind of a regional. The 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 smaller improvements we might do on a neighborhood network are probably much more kind of homegrown. Those could be kind of more community based. Um, we have a plan which does kind of look at the whole thing comprehensively, but again, knowing that it might be hard to kind of build out whole sections of like of a protected bicycle lane, we might need to start in areas where our communities are supportive of it. And then continue to kind of to build it out, kind of again incrementally. And sorry, what about the car question? Oh, so, the, so the, yeah, so the idea, so basically, there's um, about 7,500 miles of streets in the city. Almost 1,500 of them are arterials, which is the, you know kind of these major streets. Of those 1,500 miles, we looked at saying let's say about 300 of miles of those streets be great to take those streets and really give them protected bicycle lanes. It doesn't mean that all of that street is going for bicycles. Again, the cars are still going to be kind of allowed kind of everywhere like they are today. Um, but we're saying there's some streets where we want to give, again, priority to the bicycles. And other, there's another almost 200, 300 miles of streets where we're saying, gee, these are really good streets to be focusing on transit improvements. We have a vehicle enhanced network. Again, cars are everywhere, but so the vehicle enhanced network is only about 80 miles, and there we were looking at where are places in the city where we have real geographic gaps in the freeway system? Where is it really beneficial for those communities? If we cannot necessarily, we're not saying we want to allow a lot of speeding in here, it's really saying what are, what are the street segments where it'd be really helpful if we could provide kind of a reliable speed on those streets to be able to enable people to get to the bigger freeway system. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry. Uh, I want to ask Claire, um, when you said uh, in a neighborhood that supports the plan that you have in mind, how are you going to know whether the entire neighborhood supports the plan? Are you just going to rely on meetings that you have with, well, this is a very small group and doesn't represent who actually uses the streets. How are you going to decide that? So the idea, then this is there's an idea that's kind of bubbling up right now, because um, what we have found by, by the city kind of going out and saying, we're going to go put a bicycle in here, but it's not been a, an effective means. We, we've run into a lot of 
resistance. So, yes. so there's an idea that <laughs> yes, yes, very true. So there's a, dis a discussion going on right now amongst different departments saying we want to kind of rethink that approach. And I, I'm, what I'm imagining it's going to look like, it's not completely baked yet because it's still going to be going through our budget process over this next year. But the idea and concept is basically to create a competition and let communities come to the city with proposals. So a neighborhood group like your own might want to get together and you want to, might want to make sure that your viewpoint is just as expressed as you know yours. You want to bring a group of people together and to come up with a, a proposal. You might come to the city and say, we have this idea. And you might have to compete against your other, your other neighborhoods so to kind of help us figure out what we're going to fund. So yeah. that's one approach. It wouldn't that, that's not how all projects would happen, but that's one way to do it. If you want to give us some money, we actually do rapid community surveys. Can <laughs> <laughs> well, bring up the subject of surveys? In our particular neighborhood, where we live, in, in the, near the Robina Diet, um, there are a tremendous number of commuters. They do not live in our neighborhood. They are trying to get on the two freeway, the five freeway, and maybe downtown eventually. They come, and in the morning I follow them. They get off the freeway. They come into our neighborhood. Okay. So how do we, how do we find out if they support the project? I mean, I, I don't think those commuters like the idea of being stuck in Silver Lake when they want to go to Wiltshire or Hollywood to do their jobs, well, it, and vice versa, right. they want to go home to. Well, hopefully they won't be driving Cino cars. And Casino and Thousand Oaks, wherever they live. But I think they come from far away. So yeah, but, yeah, but, so right, but that's what the mobility plan is. It's a more comprehensive I mean, approach to mobility. It's very hard to get input from a really dispersed group. But right. I yeah. would say, look, reading, you know, looking at the cards, um, in the future, um, I think there is going to probably be greater um, premium on living closer to where you work. Well, that's a great idea, but they would have to sell their house in Thousand Oaks to do that. Right. And I'm just saying, when people have a house, a lot more than Thousand Oaks. So affordable housing yeah, is a real, huge real. Thousand Oaks ain't cheap. I think that Mary makes. I may, Mary makes a really good point: is that in theory, it's wonderful. It would be a wonderful yes. city if we were like Chicago or New York, where you might be close to where you work. That's not the reality here. And maybe that will become a reality in the next five generations, but I'll be dead. Um, right now, you know, not to get hooked on the Rowena here, but, but that's a great kind of example. I know Garcetti is calling this a litmus test or internally used, um, of how do you, you know, allow Okay, for, so for example, in terms of like competing ideas, I mean, I think that's a great idea, but still, ultimately, it's really incumbent upon the city to come to the community, mm -hmm. town hall, community outreach, whatever, the neighborhood councils will help, and say, okay, guys, here's what we want to do at the city level. We want to, here are three ideas, but actually, you have to come to us. You can't just say, we're having a meeting downtown, everybody come. It's got to be come to the community mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when the community can show up, which is usually evening or weekends, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not during Tom LeBonge hours at 4 p.m. when people can't make it, um, and say, okay, here's what's going on. Mm -hmm. We need your input. Give us your input. And then it's, you know, whether it's a consensus situation that has reached or a majority rule, whatever, um, that's what I think is going to be important for DOT and the city to mm -hmm. implement. 
not just here's our ideas. We decided at downtown at city hearings downtown, and most because most people don't pay attention. It's not that they're not interested; it's that they their busy lives, they're raising their kids, they got to keep a roof over their head. They don't. They rely on neighbors like us to actually say, "Okay, hey, guys, guess what? There's a town hall happening. Right. You need to show up, and it's after work." And then they come. That's a good point. So, so, so let, let me just ask you the question, Claire. I think what I'm hearing. So, do we and and Paul as well? So, do we do we have the luxury of five generations right now to implement the mobility plan um, from from a uh, transportation standpoint and from a health standpoint? Uh, I would say no. I mean, I would say that it's anticipated that we're going to grow by you know another several hundred thousand people over the next you know twenty. I think it's we're supposed to go to we're four. We're 4 million now, we're supposed to go to about 4.3 in the next 20 years, and then maybe, right now they're even projecting up to 4.7 million by 2040. Again, those are projections by, by SCAG. Um, they get those numbers from, from, uh, from the state. Regardless of what the actual number is, we're gonna grow. And we know already people are frustrated by, with congestion. And yet we know that there's, there's alternatives to that. Again, transit can move a lot more people through those streets. Bicycling, you can move a lot more people through, through those streets. Land use, continuing to grow and facilitate people being able to live closer to their work, or at least when they get home, have more things nearby they can then you know, walk, walk and bike to. Um, that if we don't start to think about those solutions now and we get more people coming in, you're going to be even more frustrated because with congestion. Because again, we're not trying to build a lot more roads. People don't want more roads. They don't want certainly want wider roads. So I think it really is incumbent upon us to work together to to find solutions that where we can move more people um, through our roadway system and again allow more density in some places to facilitate again more housing, more housing here that's affordable and put people closer to their jobs. And, and Paul, from from your own. Yeah, from a health standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we can wait five generations to try to create, you know, more health-promoting communities. The question is how we best do that. I guess the one point I was trying to make is I think there's going to be more of a premium on proximity, not just to work, but also to all the things you need. Uh, it's not like living in the burbs where it may remain easy to drive five miles to the supermarket or to whatever shopping you need to do to the degree that's within walking distance or biking distance will, will be very important. I will say mobility overall is really important. Um, the more time people spend in cars, you know, the worse for their health, the more stress that they're feeling as a result of long commute times, the worse for their health. So I think it's, you know, to the degree we can create a balanced system where all users can, can benefit and, and improve mobility, that'll be important for health. So speaking to that, when you, um, because it's such a huge impact, affordable housing and, and um, that access and how that affects mobility and, and really a lot of things we've talked about is gentrification in these communities, committees and also that overlap with urban design. And um, I know that you're working very closely, or I learned today, which is really great that you're working very closely with the city and transportation, um, but from a health standpoint, it's such kind of a beautiful window to look through. You must, um, look, what are the solutions or groups that you, you're working with to to look at gentrification and communities that are more sustainable and more local? Again, big time. We, we have a program called the PLACE program that uh, these are public health staff. Some of them have uh, urban planning backgrounds also, and we're working with various cities and communities and 
when there is a general plan update or there are you know specific plans, we you know every opportunity to push to get language inserted into those plans that create either the requirements or the incentives for, for affordable housing. That policy arena is very complex, um, so I don't even pretend to begin to understand all the policy levers, but I think there are a number, and you know we have to prioritize those. Um, Nina's next. Let me just say one thing before you start, Nina. Um, I'm standing up. Yeah, no, you're standing up, so I'll, I'll be quick. Okay. Is that um, me, I, I myself have seen in the last, uh, I've been living in LA now for about 10 years. Um, since, oh, since, since, since Expo, yeah, I guess I'm going to come <laughs> Since Expo has opened, um, I have seen housing being built around the stations right there in Culver City. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that housing will attract perhaps people who are working in Culver <laughs> City who can then have access to, to that transit. So I think that over time, transportation will perhaps even reorganize the way that we view our city. Nina? Okay. Uh, question is for Claire and Paul. Okay. Um, I'm really not a negative person. <laughs> 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 Lay it on the us. The whole issue of community input. I was talking to Gil Cedillo's office. And Gil Cedillo indicated that the reason he was kind of against the plan is because the people that he represents really don't have the computers to give their input in terms of what the mobility plan was. So he really felt that that his his council district wasn't included in, in input. Uh, I know Matthew, my late husband, and I attended the meeting in September 2013 regarding the Hyperion uh, Glendale Bridge. Okay. You know, and we all had opportunity to make input, and we went to different stations and gave our input, but it's almost as if decisions have been made. Uh, just like, you know, Dr. Katz came down from San Francisco, and it was a big complete that the the three departments were going to merge, even though there was community input. So it's like, uh, you know, we can spin our wheels, <laughs> but it's it's like the higher powers have already made the made the decision. I'm not saying the mobility plan is wrong, but I really want there to be value in community meetings, uh, and that's the important thing right. because because I, I I know what happened in the county. Yes. <laughs> I guess that I would, um, first of all, I disagree Thanks, with the councilman. Um, I think there was substantial um, outreach. It's hard to reach a city of four million people, especially when you're talking about a, a policy document. It's hard for people to kind of understand kind of really what, what it's trying to do. Um, it doesn't mean that we couldn't have done more. You can always do more outreach, and that's why I think it's going to be so critical going forward now that we have a plan that we do a better job when we go, it is easier when you're then going out into a smaller geography to talk with the community to get people to come out and talk about a specific project. Um, so there will be more opportunity. I think that the councilman, his real objection to the plan, I think that the idea that we didn't do enough outreach is a little bit of a smoke and mirrors. He really thinks that, he, yeah, I mean, he, he really thinks the plan should be trying to solve for congestion. And I would argue you should solve for congestion. And I would just argue that 
no plan can solve for congestion. So that's where he and I just fundamentally agree. It took me half an hour to go five blocks to the San Francisco this morning. I thought I was going to die. All right. Uh, Anne-Marie? Um, in the infamous Rowena Rodiet situation, the turning lane, we've been told by some representatives of DOT, are really, is really considered a refuge lane. What? Okay. Refuge. A refuge, refuge. lane. Because is that I frequent it quite often, and people are now using it as a lane. And people are using it as the phantom lane to uh, avoid. And we've seen a lot of near misses. I had a near miss uh, when I was trying to make a turn and someone was right on my left and used it as a lane. So that's, not good. that's a huge, huge problem for us in Silver Lake. Mm -hmm. What is your take on that being, it was almost... It was a, it was a not a flippant statement, but it was almost like well we people can use that as a like as, a pedestrian as, crossing, right? Yeah, yeah. Pedestrians are crossing. They make it past one lane, and, and then, they're, then they're safe. Then they're safe in that turning lane. Seriously? People, oh yeah. Well, that's what DOT has said. Yeah. Said at a recent right. meeting. Because people can pause there because people are only using <laughs> yeah. it to turn, but that really is a lane now. It's a lane closest to the curb. What they did is they took, so there was four lanes of traffic before, right? Two lanes in each direction. Now there are three. And they did three. Now it's three. It's supposed to be two. two. That's right. One in each middle. way. Yeah. And people are using, which is horrible. Mm -hmm. And the fact that somebody from DOT said that was a refuge for people put in. It should be a refuge. That's just wrong. That's not a mandate from LADO, from DOT, or planning. No, I, yeah, no, that okay. is not, and that is not what the intention of those center right. turn lanes oh, are. They're for coming in We're and turning so that yeah. the traffic who right. wants to turn is getting out of the yeah. through lane, because typically what happens when you create those road diets is that you do improve, again, the reliability of the flow because people who are stopping to make turns are now out of the traffic. That somebody who's using that Many for a through lane needs much more height. What I would be doing is they need to be going in and start to put in obstacles. Like, look for where people really truly do need to be coming in to make those turns and then doing, like, islands in between. And then maybe in those islands, you could then create true pedestrian refugee refuge area. Okay. Because we just had another, uh, somebody just hit on a Rowena Sunday. Really? Okay. Yeah. Serious injuries. So we have about um, 15 more. We have, okay. Thank you, okay. Anne-Marie. Wow. We have about 15 more minutes to go. I'm just going to take, just take a one more question and we'll just kind of wrap it up. Okay. And, and really, I, I, I really, yes, I see. Um, I really thank our panelists for coming this evening. Um, Unfortunately, we're competing against the democratic debate. Yes. I like to think. And um, I think we've had a great discussion so far. Uh, last question, Stephanie. Well, uh, I would like to. Let's see here, sir. Um, and who are you directing? The it to? idea, the mobility plan, and what I understand, and also from reading the Vision Zero, there's also a uh, website I just found, Street Blog. And they put all the alternative, you know, they list. So 
there are a lot of things that can be done, design mm -hmm. and stuff, mm -hmm. that would solve a, a, a res, you know, resolve for multiple use, for safety for all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so therefore, it seems that how the outreach it's not only just asking for what are your ideas from your community, but the concept, there, there's a big list of, you know, there's still ADA, uh, you know, uh, that has to be followed, which mm -hmm. has not been followed on all sidewalks, you know, things like that. Sure. So that in other words, it's almost that the, each community could choose because they have this kind of situation, like a Rowena, what are the things that are going to make it safer? Uh, right. or, in other words, that would be their proposal, right. rather than the idea that you would have to start from scratch, think of something, and then and then uh, uh, try to get somebody to, to pass it up down the line. What are the uh, what? So, so a menu of engineering kind of. Uh, so what we we actually part of the part of the plan the plan is complemented by a complete street design guide. That was really meant as kind of like a dictionary. Yeah. So the communities would have kind of at their have fingertips. That that's right. So they can know kind of the things to ask for. It also was done because a lot of the innovative things that we know help slow traffic down are things that our engineers here in the city are reluctant to do because, again, many of those engineers have been at the, at the city for many years back in the day when it was all about moving cars as quickly as they could. So we're having to kind of do some retraining and reeducating for the engineers as well. Thing that's that right. That's right. Really. That's right. So these documents. So we adopt. We adopted the Complete Street Design Guide. We also simultaneously adopted two document documents from NACTO, and so those kind of make up a complement of ideas that the city has and the community has to kind of look at and say, gee, let's try this. And the guide describes, you know, what are the different circumstances and where things would fit best. That's a, they're twenty years of public health wise. Twenty years ago, 25 years ago, my husband decided he was going to ride his bike. There weren't many bikes, but to down Sunset to the Metropolitan Water District where he worked. So he did it, but he could not stand the pollution that was coming from the car. It went, it was heavy. But today, we have a different standard, therefore we have some healthier, the air <laughs> almost is healthier. Yeah, it's not <laughs> yes. perfect. Right, he had to stop just because of that. But today, now we can, so therefore bicycles can be functional, getting to work, and can be also browsed, uh, whatever you call it, yeah. recreational. So, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I want to talk that, you know, the, the, the one point of mobility plan is also like lowering the barrier. Uh, Paul talked about like, you know, easy and safe travel. Is that, yes. Those are the two keys. So by, re, uh, you know, uh, by making people switch to this uh, alternative transportation, we'll have much better flow on the vehicle lanes and also have safer environments for those who are choosing alternative modes. So lowering the barrier is the key, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I wanted to Stephanie. Also, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have one more question. I'm sorry. We're going to have to start wrap, wrapping things up, but thank you so much, Stephanie. So back to like, the idea of the future plan and then also um, maybe thinking more holistically about 
what our uh, committee has been thinking about, both in transportation and public works, with water and conservation. Mm -hmm. um, we've, I know that the LA uh, GWP has a um, recycled water advisory board that's mm -hmm. kind of a gorgeous vision for, for what it would look like to build um, permeable streets on the local level and cisterns and all these things. And so, you know, there, there's the, the stuff that's already, the, the cement that we are already working against, and then mm -hmm. there's definitely some digging up of, of building other things. And so I was wondering, maybe is there some collaboration or consideration for these type of things to be built in? Absolutely. I think there's room for a lot of collaboration. So when we are doing a street improvement, that we're looking at what are all the additional improvements that we could do? We, there's a policy in the mobility plan that talks about looking for green street opportunities. So again, if there's an opportunity to capture more stormwater, less of an opportunity here just on the side of the hill because of the soils, more opportunity on, on the, in the, up in the valleys for that kind of thing. But you can still do a lot of treatment here. You just can't necessarily do infiltration. And I just want to say thank you so much. I think we should give our uh, panelists a round of applause as well as ourselves for participating. This has been such an interesting discussion. Um, I wish more people were here, um, but uh, the ones that were here participated fully, and thank you. Uh, we're going to wrap things up with um, any committee member uh, comments or announcements. Nina, briefly. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, CERT, will be start, uh, CERT training will start on January the 4th at Bellevue Park. It will be